Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to research that improves health, reduces recovery times, and brings new treatments and therapies to our area before they are available elsewhere. More information is at pinnaclehealth.org. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Today we are on a special Smart Talk road trip from Pennsylvania State Capitol. In fact, we're broadcasting from the beautiful rotunda at the Capitol. Over the next hour, we'll be discussing several significant issues that have an impact on your life and your family's lives as well. Pennsylvania Treasurer Joe Tricella and WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief Katie Meyer will be stopping by. But first, we're joined by Pennsylvania's Governor Tom Wolf. Governor Wolf, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. It's good to be here. Yeah, we thank are, you. Yeah, thank you. As you can hear in the background, uh, we do have a, a studio audience that has submitted a number of questions for you, Governor. In, Go ahead. Including my mother. I know. I saw that. In fact, I heard some stories about your mother because someone who grew up with her is here. I'm not going to talk about them on the air. <laughs> okay. But I got to Me meet. Your, I got to meet your mother, and uh, she's sitting right up front here. So, do you act any differently or respond to questions any differently with your mother here? I behave all the time, Scott. I, I try. <laughs> Let me just say, though, and, and you're very nice to put bottled water yeah, here, but yeah. we have a gift band. I know, I know. So I have a dollar that I'm going to give you for this, right. this water just to make sure that I'm paying for this. And, and I, I, I'm not, like, taunting you or anything, but I'm going to drink. I'm going to take a... I'm going to take a quick, quick sip of water, Governor. Okay. Mm. And you didn't pay for that, right? Uh, yeah, you did. Kathleen okay. Pavelko, our GM, yeah, somebody did. And yeah. all the donors here did. So. <laughs> That's right. right. So, Governor, we have a, a lot of questions uh, from okay. listeners today, but I want to start off by talking about uh, what is probably the biggest issue that the state is facing right now, and that is our state budget. Uh, the spending plan 37 point, uh, or excuse me, 31, <laughs> it's not 37, I know, $31.7 billion spending plan uh, that you allowed to become law without your, your, your signature. It was passed by both houses of legislature, but we do not have a revenue package in place, so we do not have a way to pay for that right now. Can you give, give us any information as to where that stands? We know the Senate passed something. We were waiting the House. Do you have any insight into us that you could pass along? Yeah, I think the, the, the <clears throat> most of the actors here have, have uh, bought in uh, to the, uh, the bill that came out of the Senate, uh, and it's a matter for the, the House, basically Republican leadership, to, to sign on to that. We just need to get the, this, this done. Uh, and uh, uh, I, th I think everybody who's working here wants to, to do that. And as you said, uh, the appropriations part of this, the spending part of this, was passed overwhelmingly by the Senate, by the House. Uh, I supported it. Uh, it. It wasn't exactly what I proposed in February in my, my budget address, but it, it addresses the, the deficit. Uh, and in, in, in conjunction with the, the, the savings, the $2.3 billion of streamlining that I've uh, put into the, the budget, uh, I think it does a responsible job. And, and I think it would keep us, and you'll talk to the Treasurer later, but I think if we passed what came out of the Senate, it would actually allow us to avoid a credit downgrade. Uh, so it's, it's a good thing, and I think it's just, uh, I urge the, uh, the House Republican leaders to get back to work and, and, uh, and get this done. We are going to talk uh, to the Treasurer about that credit downgrade and what it could mean for Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania taxpayers. In past years, I know the first two years of your administration, you've been critical of the budget's past. And I keep hearing that term, smoke and mirrors, that uh, these were not solid budgets, that one-time fixes to uh, fill deficits. Are you satisfied that this budget that has been passed by the Senate, that it is not, that it is a solid, long-term budget, that's something yes. that Pennsylvania can do? Yeah, two things. Okay. You're right. I was very critical of past budgets. For decades in this building, we have seen, we citizens have tolerated uh, budgets that really didn't balance. And the proof of that is, you know, what the rainy day fund is, that's our retained earnings. Well, we have a 31.7, 31.9 billion dollar 
general fund budget. We transfer, pass through a lot of money that comes from the federal government. I think this is an $80 billion enterprise. <clears throat> In our retained earnings, our rainy day fund, we have $245,000. There's nothing there. And that's happened over the course of decades uh, that people have, and there's another term you don't like, kicked the can down the road, <laughs> said we're, gonna, we're just going to make this hole at some other point. I, part of the reason I ran for governor was to say, let's stop doing that. Let's stop playing games. Let's, let's actually get this right. And if we get this budget, uh, you look at the balance sheet of the Commonwealth, we actually start to put money back into the rainy day fund. Now, we're down here, uh, but we're going to start to put money back in. It actually balances. No smoke and mirrors, the real thing. And, and I think that's really important. And the, the, the thing that I think I've brought here is that, yes, there's some revenue requirement to get to that point, but the bulk of this, $2.3 billion, to over two-thirds of what I'm looking to do to balance this budget is by streamlining government, by making it work better. And, and I think that's, that's really important. Yes, there is some revenue involved, and it includes borrowing, and that is something that, you know, we don't like to borrow if we can stay away from it. Something that you've called for from the very beginning, even when you were on the campaign trail, was a tax on uh, Marcella Shale drilling. Uh, this bill, this budget bill, includes uh, such a tax. It seemed as up, though even up until two weeks ago that wasn't going to happen. But there is a but there. Uh, it's bringing in, estimated to bring in about $100 million. All right, $100 million sounds like a lot of money. It is a lot of money. But when you're talking about deficits of $1.7 billion, $2 billion down the road long term, $100 million is, is not really a whole lot. So I guess I have two parts to this question. First of all, you have to be satisfied that there's a Marcellus Shale tax, but couldn't it be producing more? Yeah. I'm First, I, yes, I am very satisfied. This is uh, a big breakthrough, and, and I think, uh, I believe that, that the, the, the House will support the, the Marcellus Shale taxes as well. Can I, can I interrupt you? For, why do you believe that? Because I always got the sense that that's what would hold up an agreement from the House. I don't think so. You don't think so? No. Because the House has said they wouldn't support tax increases. Well, but I think there is some appetite for a tax that 80% of a shale tax would be paid by non-Pennsylvanians. We're the only major natural gas-producing state in the United States without a tax. Texas, Alaska, Wyoming, Louisiana, these are not left-leaning states. They all have taxes. And, and all of us, when we go to the gas station and fill up with gas, uh, the Tax Foundation in Washington, D.C. actually calculates your share of Alaska's tax and Texas's tax and Louisiana's tax because the, the cost, that, that extraction tax that they charge is folded into the price of the gasoline. So who's paying Texas's tax? We are. And who's paying our tax for using our gas? Well, no one. Now, you've all gotten thank you notes from folks in Texas, right? The taxpayers? <laughs> of course not. But we're paying their taxes, and I think that's one of the things. It, it does have the name tax associated with it, but it's, it's an actual exportable tax. And I think the in independent fiscal office said that, that if we had one here in Pennsylvania, that only 20 to 25% of it would be paid by Pennsylvanians. Most of it would be paid by people who use the product in Canada and New England and Maryland and New Jersey. I think that's a pretty good tax. Second thing is just want to point out, as I said, I, and I am serious about this, if we get this budget, we have a balanced budget. We don't have billions of dollars of deficit. That deficit is a thing of the past. This actually addresses that, and that's really important. All right, let's take some questions from our, our listeners. Under Pennsylvania law, a balanced budget is mandatory, so how can a budget with only a spending plan be legal? Yeah, the, the, um, it's, it's a good question. The, the um, uh, expenditure part in last year and this year, uh, both the, the spending and the revenue parts were passed separately. Well, this year the revenue part hasn't been passed yet. Uh, but last year uh, the spending bill was passed on, I think, June 30th. And it took about a week and a half, two weeks to get to the point where we had the, the revenue bill. Uh, and so 
constitutionally, the governor has 10 days to uh, allow a bill to become law or veto it or sign it. Uh, and I waited the 10 days and, and at the end of 10 days was convinced that, that the legislature would come back with the, the revenue package, so I let it become law. And the same thing happened this year so far. I've, we haven't gotten the revenue package, but the revenue or the appropriations package was passed overwhelmingly in both the Senate and the House by Republicans and Democrats. And so I had every confidence, and I continue to have every confidence that, that uh, the, uh, uh, the revenue package will come into being. But getting back to his question. Well, it was because I had every confidence that, that the revenue part would be there. It, actually, I think, and I'm not a lawyer, but, but revenues are coming in every day. The July, we just ended uh, July revenues uh, with the existing taxes in place. We're up 6.5% over last year, which is more than, than uh, you know, I think the, uh, uh, would be expected. It's certainly higher than the, the increase in expenditures, which is less than 1%. Yeah, it, seeing those figures that did come out yesterday, that is compared to last year mm -hmm. because we don't, we don't have, have revenue. Budget. We don't have revenue that, uh, to compare it to. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious. I kind of wondered at the time, uh, maybe you talked about this, but I'll ask you now, why didn't you sign the budget? If you, uh, it was passed overwhelmingly by Republicans and, uh, and, and, and Democrats, House and Senate. I wanted, to, I wanted to try to get both of these things done, and, and I thought, by just letting it become law rather than signing it, could wait the 10 days and hope that within that 10-day period, the revenue package would be passed by the Senate and the House. Joe Torcello is going to appear on this program a little bit later, and he's been quoted as saying that if we don't get a budget in place soon, like by the end of August, that there's a possibility that Pennsylvania will not be able to pay its bills. Are you concerned about that at very, this point? I'm very concerned about it. And that's why, you know, a lot of what happens here is debate and bargaining between political parties. This is not a partisan thing. This is something that, that actually is real. We, we have a credit downgrade or we don't. We, we can pay our bills or we can't. And, and we, you know, this is just not responsible to, to, to try to um, not get this done. We've, we've got to get it done, not because it's, it's Republican or a, a Democratic idea. It's just we need to pay our bills. We need to have a credit uh, rating that allows us to, when we have to borrow money, we're not paying exorbitant interest rates. Another question from the audience. There's no doubt, now this part is my part, not the questioner's part, uh, that there has been more cooperation this year during uh, the budget negotiations as opposed to the first year you were in office. Now, here's the, uh, the question from the audience. Is there a chance for a return to bipartisan cooperation to uh, get to use the art of politics as compromise. And uh, just wanted to know, you know, I, I got to say that just my own observation, we're nowhere near what we see in Washington. But we still do have uh, some politics going on here in Harrisburg. Well, we have politics, but that's not a bad thing. But let, let me point out what we've gotten done. I mean, we, we have put uh, 800, over $800 million into education in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, we have uh, done the first modernization of the liquor system since Prohibition. Now, I know if any of you are from out of state, buying wine or beer in the grocery store is not that big a deal. I grew up in Pennsylvania. It's a big deal. I got that done. Right. We have legalized medical marijuana for, for families who are suffering from, from uh, the, the lack of that. Doctors now have that, that option. We have a bipartisan effort to address the opioid uh, epidemic. Uh, we're creating options for seniors uh, so that, that they can live in their homes longer. They have more choices. And, and we're doing a lot to, to create the, the infrastructure and the jobs that exist here. And, and so I, I look at, at what you know, we've done and, and compare that to not just Washington, but compare it to, to any prior administration. In two and a half years, in an overwhelmingly Republican Senate, an overwhelmingly Republican House, a Democratic governor, we've gotten some pretty amazing things done. Uh, the pension reform was just one thing that, that actually got, you know, rave reviews in the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. So we have compromised. We have worked together. Uh, and uh, politics is, is a, a matter of expressing disagreement and arguing and figuring out how to make things better. And I think for the most part, we've, we've done a pretty good job of that. What's changed in two years, though? Because that first year that you were in office, when there was a nine-month budget impasse, 
I mean, there was a lot of bitterness. It did not seem like there would be an opportunity. Well, at least publicly, you know, what are you, you're making faces. Yes, there was, Governor. I hate to tell you this, but there was. <laughs> bitterness but is such a harsh term. I know it's a harsh term, but uh, still, it, it did not appear as if you would be able to work with Republicans in the Senate and the House. What's changed in two years? Well, I, I think, I think we, we have all learned a little more about each other, and, and there are obvious areas we disagree. And, and we've also found that there are clear areas where we can find agreement, and I think we've focused on those areas. So, again, if you look at all the things that, that we've gotten done here, some major pieces of legislation in just two and a half years, uh, and if you don't count the first six months, two years, we've gotten a, a lot of good things done. We're going to toss that six months out. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, who is studying a new surgical technique that allows surgeons to make repairs to the heart without having to open the chest cavity and while the heart is beating. Info at pinnaclehealth.org. Welcome back to the state capitol, a Smart Talk road trip. And uh, this is a very special one. Governor Tom Wolf is our guest during this portion of the program. Today's Smart Talk road trip is supported by Roof Advisory Group, Michaels Motorcars, and Harrisburg University of Science and Technology. We have uh, a lot of questions here from audience members, and we've been soliciting questions over the last few weeks, so we've had some sent to the station as well, Governor. Here's another one. Pennsylvania's population continues to grow older. Many, if not most, seniors will not have the financial resources to pay for their medical care. What plans does the Commonwealth have to provide pay for their care? Well, the, the, of course, seniors uh, over 65 are, uh, have access to Medicare, which is a federal program. Uh, when I became governor, I expanded Medicaid, which also helps a lot of seniors. Uh, and we have 700,000 Pennsylvanians, many of whom are seniors, who have health insurance now who didn't have it uh, two and a half years ago. Uh, so I'm, I'm continuing to, to look for ways to, to make our healthcare system uh, better, uh, bending the cost curve, but I'm also looking for opportunities to increase the number of people who are covered, and, which is why I, uh, along with a lot of Republican governors, uh, have, have uh, worked hard to, to try to convince Washington not to just simply repeal the Affordable Care Act. We can make it better, but we can't just take these benefits away. Uh, in terms of things like long-term care, uh, creating options for seniors, uh, working with the Department of Human Services, which I hope to become the Department of Health and Human Services, um, to, to uh, actually allow uh, seniors to, to get the waivers they need to be able to stay in their homes longer. So. I'm looking for more funding through things like expanding Medicaid, but I'm also looking to, to use the dollars we have right here in Pennsylvania, uh, because Pennsylvania is like, what, a 45% supporter of Medicaid, uh, to, to use those dollars more wisely. So I'm doing both of those things. We always talk about money, and you know, we, we have to when it comes to uh, what we're going to do for our older citizens. But as Pennsylvania's does continue to age, and let's face it, we are one of the fastest growing states in the country with, uh, as far as uh, an older population goes. Besides the money aspect of it, are there challenges that an older population presents for state government? Well, I mean, there's some, first of all, I'm 69 years old, so I'm a senior citizen. And I think, uh, yeah, we, we, we uh, uh, have some needs, physical needs, that, that maybe younger folks don't have. But we also bring wisdom. We bring a lot of resources uh, to the table. And I think Pennsylvania uh, is, uh, is the beneficiary of having uh, a, senior, a more senior population than, than many other states. And I'm, I'm really happy that, that, uh, uh, that, that Pennsylvania is such an attractive place for seniors to live. We have a great tax system, retirement income, 1099R income. It's not taxed at all in Pennsylvania. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful place to live. I grew up here. I, I love it, and I hope to live here as long as 
God willing, I can. But I guess what I'm talking about is, you're right, that there are some challenges that uh, as we grow older, we have health-wise. Alzheimer's disease, dementia is one that I think of. We're actually producing a program, Smart Talk program tomorrow on those topics. I mean, as this population does get older, those are things we're going to have to deal with. Sure. I mean, and, and we're, I think, uh, trying to do, do just that. The, the, uh, the opioid crisis, the opioid mm-hmm. epidemic uh, affects senior citizens just as much as it affects younger citizens because the gateway drugs are prescription drugs. So we need to figure out uh, all, all those things to, 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 as we learn more about how we can address the needs of not just senior citizens, but every, every citizen at every age. Uh, I think we need to figure out, try to do a better job. I'm, I'm trying to do that. I don't think, again, that having a senior, a more senior population uh, is something, uh, uh, anything other than a, than a, a blessing. And I think we, we ought to um, do the things that, that are, are unique uh, to, to the, the challenges of, 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 of age. Uh, but uh, I think we ought to also celebrate the fact that so many senior citizens want to stay in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Anyone who has listened to my show on a regular basis knows I jump around from time to time to make it conversational. And uh, because we do have some time restraints today, Governor, I'm going to jump around on you. Is there anything that keeps you up at night? Well, yesterday I was uh, out in Bedford County. There was a a derailment of a a train that had uh, some, uh, one of the the tank cars actually uh, uh, burst with uh, liquefied propane gas. Uh, and so there was the fire yesterday, and the fire, as I just checked before I came down here, is still burning. That's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night, because that, that destroyed some homes, and it threatened the lives of thousands of people. Uh, thank God nobody has died, uh, and no one was injured. Uh, but those are the kinds of things that, that I think could happen anywhere, anytime, uh, and uh, whether it's a natural disaster, a human disaster, a human-made disaster, uh, those are the things that, that keep me up because there's not a whole lot you can do about things you just don't know. We try to prevent things, try to look at like train safety, try to make sure that, uh, I mean, I live on the railroad tracks, that, that, that trains that are coming in, into residential areas are as safe as they can be, uh, but you just never know and accidents happen and when they do, that's a, a, it can be a very sad and dangerous thing. So that's what keeps me up at night. You know, when you mentioned trains, uh, think about some of the tragedies that have occurred in other places around the country, and there was a really uh, horrible tragedy in Canada a few years ago. That's usually with uh, trains carrying petroleum oil or something like that. That's that's, this one is. Carrying liquefied petroleum, right? Liquefied propane, but it's the same. same. Right, right. These are explosive uh, cars. One of the big controversies, especially in this part of the state in recent years, has been uh, pipelines construction of pipelines uh, that uh, are transporting natural gas. Much of that natural gas going outside of Pennsylvania, being shipped overseas or, or to other states. What are your thoughts about pipeline construction in this state? Well, some of the pipeline construction is to actually use the gas here in, in Pennsylvania. But you're right, some of it is to because we produce more than we can use here or probably ever will use. Uh, but they have to be just, it's just like train safety. The, the, the things that, that we use to transport uh, volatile materials, they have to be done right. We've, we want to make sure that we're not creating um, uh, uh, accidents uh, in advance. So I, I take train safety very seriously. I take this pipeline very seriously. Right now, uh, there is a, a controversy over the, the Mariner East Pipeline in southeast Pennsylvania. Uh, and the construction has been halted. I have spoken personally with the CEO of the, of the pipeline company to express the, the concerns and dissatisfaction that I'm hearing from uh, constituents in that area and from legislators here who represent those constituents. Uh, so uh, we need to, to do this. We, we, need, we understand that, that if we're going to live the life we want to live with the things that we have here, uh, uh, and on the way to a sustainable energy future uh, that we're going to be needing these, these products, we're going to have to transport them, uh, and uh, we need to do everything we can to make sure we're doing this as safely as possible. Another question from our audience. 
and didn't hear a whole lot about this in the budget bill that was passed by the Senate. Will the fees proposed for state police to cover municipalities that, that don't have their own police departments be included in this year's budget? Doesn't look like it. I didn't think so. <laughs> Talk about that and why well, you, I mean, you proposed see, $25 okay, this, per this person. Is, this is a group of very sensible people. And I think if, if I said to you, there is no such thing as a free lunch, you'd nod your head and say, that's true. We've all learned that. But there is such a thing as a free lunch. Tom Gross is here, was former chief of police in two municipalities in York County. Uh, but one of the things that we have here in Pennsylvania is if you decide you don't want to support your own local police, you can ask the state police to cover your area for free. Now, as you know, there is no such thing as a free lunch. So what practically happens is a lot of the funding for the state police comes out of the motor vehicle fund. And it means that we have fewer dollars to spend on bridges and roads. And if I have a Jeep, so I feel the bumps in the road. <laughs> and I know we need to do a better job with our roads and our bridges. And so in the budget I proposed, I said, okay, let's just start the conversation. We all know it can't be free because it costs something. And it's costing us all who drive in bridges and, and roads. So how about $25 a person? Somebody said that's way low. Somebody said that's high, certainly higher than zero. But in the end, it didn't make, make it through the, the, uh, the cut. But I think it's the kind of thing that, that I think we ought to look at as Pennsylvanians. It's just common sense, right? It's, it's not partisan. It's not a Republican or a Democrat thing. It's just one of those things I felt like saying when I gave the budget address, hey, I'm just saying, it's not free. <laughs> just saying. And, and so let's start with $25. If you think that's too high, come up with your number. If you think it's too low, give me another number. I'm fine, but it's not free. I think we can just agree with that. And that's, that's what I was trying to do. And it maybe it's, it'll be like the shale tax. I keep bringing it up and talking about it. And sooner or later, someone will say, yeah, actually, maybe. You're going to bring it up again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One final question, because I know with it that we are short on time. Uh, this is from our audience as well. With so many governors voicing a strong commitment to Obama-era climate policies and the Paris Climate Accord, what is Pennsylvania's plan for climate policy and mitigating the impacts of climate change? That's a great question. I, I take the, the, uh, uh, the, the elements of the Paris Accord very seriously. And I think um, I want to make sure that, that here in Pennsylvania we're doing uh, substantive work, not just sort of saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to sign on to that, but really doing the substantive work. You know, in terms of our carbon footprint, we're actually ahead of the, the Paris Accord in terms of, in Pennsylvania, reducing uh, our carbon footprint. That, to me, is important. Signing on to something, if, if I signed on to something that had great symbolic value, but I wasn't doing the things that actually mattered, I don't think that would be responsible. So, you know, you have to pay some tribute to the, uh, the political sensitivities that, that exist out there, uh, and that you have to make choices. You have to make compromises. And the compromise here is, okay, I'm going to, you know, uh, uh, not take the, the symbolic stuff as, as seriously as I am the substantive stuff, and I'm going to get I'm going to really get things done. Governor Tom Wolf, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> yes, thank you, Mrs. Wolf. <laughs> You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. We are on a Smart Talk road trip today at Pennsylvania State Capitol. Governor Tom Wolf just uh, uh, was on the first part of the program. Now we have the honor of having uh, Pennsylvania's Treasurer Joe Tercella joining us. Treasurer Tercella, welcome to the program. Good morning. Good to be with you. And I note the governor and I both being frugal guys brought our own water uh, oh, for, the, for, the, ah. for the listeners who can't see that. <laughs> Is it water from Pennsylvania? I'm going to say yes. Okay, well, I'll check on that a little and bit. And cover later. up the label. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we were talking about uh, the budget with uh, Governor Wolf. You and I spoke uh, about a month ago or so, and I've seen a number of quotes since. I, we don't have a revenue package yet. So the open-ended question, the broad question is, what happens if Pennsylvania doesn't have a revenue package, revenue to pay for that spending plan, Pretty quickly, pretty soon. Well, the short answer is there are going to be consequences and none of them are going to be good. Uh, we, we forecast, and we're the custodian of the general fund. We look at this almost as a cash problem. It's sort of the checking account of the state. And what's happened is that if you look at the projected expenses uh, and historic revenues, what you see is that soon, 
end of August, beginning of September, possibly you know, second week in September, the balance of the general fund will drop below zero and considerably below zero for a period of eight full months of the fiscal year. Can I interrupt for a second? What's considerably below zero? Well, at some points, it gets down to about $2.5 in the negative. So Whoa. what that means is that we as a state, and, and by the way, Scott, this, we've talked about this before, this problem has gotten worse and earlier each year as a consequence of us not squaring up to some fundamental facts. But what we need to do is borrow money to pay our, essentially, our household bills to operate. Now, the problem with that is that in the absence of a revenue package, uh, that, that that will be the reality, that Treasury, which has stepped up to loan the general fund money, We've said we're willing to do that, but we're not, we're not able to do it to that degree. Um, and then the only other option is do you go to the you know, public markets or the private markets, however you want to talk about them, and borrow money out there, which would be irresponsible for anyone to do if you don't have an, an approved and, and, and balanced budget. So the, the, the consequence here is that there will have to be some uh, cutbacks in the expenditures that were approved on a bipartisan basis by both the governor and the, and the legislature. The second consequence, which doesn't get enough attention in my view, is that we've been warned by the credit agencies uh, that failure to have a responsible package and a genuinely balanced budget will result in a credit downgrade. That is a, the Auditor General who's been part of you know, doing these projections with us has called that, I think correctly, a backdoor tax. It raises the costs of borrowing for the things that we need to borrow for, for our long term. Any household borrowing money, you know, it's a fine thing if what you're doing is sending a son or daughter to a school or graduate school or you're investing in a business. If you're borrowing to pay your bills eight months of the year, something fundamentally is wrong and something fundamentally needs to be addressed. You know, I, I get the sense sometimes that obviously that is something that in this building, in the state capitol, legislators, the governor, you, the auditor general, take very seriously that credit rating. But I wonder whether the general public says, oh, we cannot get to a point where Pennsylvania's credit rating has to be down. Give us a sense of what well, that means in real dollars. Now, yeah, okay, you pay a higher interest rate if you borrow money, but what kind of money are we talking about? Now, you're probably right that no one goes around worrying about it. Right, but, right, it, right. but, but if, you pose, if you say it this way, they start to. Pennsylvania currently has among the worst credit ratings of all the 50 states, and we're, we could tick one notch lower and you know, join. I mean, and that bottom group is not, when you're a state, you don't want to be on a list with, other, with states like Illinois, with all respect to my dear friends in Chicago. The, but as it's, it's, it's embarrassing for us as a state, but you get to the real issue, which is it has a cost. And the cost is, uh, it's been estimated variously, I've seen, 10 million for each billion borrowed, and that's for just a new tick down. We're already paying costs for where we are. I've seen other estimates in the hundreds of millions of dollars. It, it is really an economic burden on the state. But the other cost that I think uh, that Pennsylvania should care about is the, call it the attention cost. We are here talking about a short-term financial problem. You've talked about this, I don't know how often on your show. Uh, we're talking about it in this building all the time. That's time and attention that we're not talking about what we need to do to position ourselves to win the future here in Pennsylvania and to start being on lists of states uh, that are leading the way in, in saving for college or investing in infrastructure or doing the things that will make us proud as Pennsylvanians. So I think in those terms, there's also a cost. When, you, you know, and I think something else that the public may not be aware of very often is that Treasury is loaning money to, to state government. When does a point, and I've asked you this question before, but now it probably needs updated. When do you reach a point where you say, nope, no more? You've asked that question, and I've avoided answering it directly, and I'm going to continue to do that. Ah, um, everybody heard that, right? What, no, <laughs> I what, what, what I do want to say is we have said clearly that we're not able to do it to the extent that we did it in the, in the last fiscal year, um, in part because you know, some of these long-term funds from which we're loaning have been tapped for various solutions. Uh, so we want to be a responsible partner. We are the, you know, we're the umpire. We call the balls and strikes on the, on the cash flow. We're going to be a responsible partner, but no one should think that we're able to get this, the Commonwealth out of what the eight-month difficulty we see coming. And it will be even harder for us to do what I think we can prudently do, which is our first obligation, being prudent our investments, 
if there is, in fact, no revenue package. Because loaning, you know, to my knowledge, I don't know that the Treasury has advanced you know, funds under those circumstances in the past. So we're in yet another part of uncharted water here. What bills wouldn't be paid first? Well, th th this is a hard question to answer because what we don't have is, uh, we do have an approved appropriation. Uh, and the governor, and frankly, any governor, uh, has the ability and the tools uh, if, if discussions here don't advance quickly uh, to say, uh, well, I'm going to bring the budget back into balance by, uh, you know, by doing X, Y, and Z. Um, but from the way we analyze it, you know, the, the, first, the first casualty could well be the so-called non-preferred appropriations um, to places like Pitt and Penn State and Temple and Lincoln. Um, because those actually haven't advanced out of the House. And then the second question would be, what expenses are deferrable? Uh, things, you know, things that you uh, are not sort of routine daily operations of government, but that have to wait. But the, the mathematical reality, and I'm always amazed that it is newsworthy, is that if you have $2 in the kitty and you have $3 of bills, you, you, you can't pay all those bills. And that's made worse by the fact that we've had several years of 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 not you know ad addressing our budget issues. So the, the the balance in our checking account, so to speak, uh, is, has gotten lower and lower. And as we said, it's it began this year with its lowest point in certainly the last ten years. Uh, we haven't looked back farther than that. We only have about two minutes left. Uh, Want to thank you very much for being with us, uh, Joe Torcellas, Pennsylvania's treasurer. Looking at what's going on in Washington, you know, every day... I'd rather not, I, but okay. I understand. <laughs> but what impact does what's going on in Washington... I mean, I, we could probably sit here for an hour and talk about it, but from a Treasury point of view, from a spending point of view, from a money point of view, what's going on in Washington? What do you watch as the Treasurer? Uh, we watch quite a lot, and we, we, we watched very carefully the, you know, the, the progress uh, or, or lack of on, on health care. Uh, we were very concerned with the Auditor General of what uh, a rollback of the, particularly the Medicaid expansion would mean uh, to Pennsylvania's finances. It would have made our structural deficit significantly worse. Uh, we watched the periodic threats around, uh, around municipal bond uh, taxation status, which would impact our infrastructure ability. We watched things like the fiduciary role, because we view our role as helping Americans, uh, Pennsylvanians, build their economic prosperity. And by the way, you mentioned the Paris. Treasury has signed on to the We're Still In campaign for Paris because we have a very successful investing program called Pennsylvania Sustainable Energy Fund uh, that has made investments that have reduced emissions, but more than that, they've made money for Pennsylvanians. So uh, we're glad to be a part of that. So we're watching a lot. We'll have to get an opportunity to talk about some of those investments that make money for Pennsylvania in the, in the future. Tr Joe Tercella, thank you very much for being hey, with great us Great to today. be here. Thanks. This Smart Stock Road Trip is supported by Roof Advisory Group, Michaels Motor Cars, and Harrisburg University of Science and Technology. And, uh, you know, we're... Go ahead, put your headphones on there, Katie. I'm kind of laid back when I do this, as you know. I do. <laughs> Katie Meyer is uh, WITF's Capital Bureau Chief. She works here every day and uh, does a fabulous job reporting on what's going on at the state capitol and in state government. Uh, you know, Katie, so many people here at the Capitol, when we look around at such a beautiful building, uh, I've heard people say in, in your position, who work at the White House in the press room, that you know, every once in a while you have to take a step back and say, I'm working in the White House and how beautiful it is and the history. You ever feel the same thing working oh, here at Pennsylvania's Capitol? Absolutely, Capitol? absolutely. I walk in here every day and I'm like, this is lovely. And then I go up to the press room, which is yeah. less lovely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it so, is, I'll tell you, it is a little there. less lovely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, no, it's wonderful working in this building. Yeah. So, you know, I promised that what we would do when the two of us spoke, mm. and I'm kind of relying on you because <laughs> of what you've covered here in the, in, the, in the last few days, I promised that we would talk about some issues that the state government is dealing with that aren't budget related. Mm -hmm. This time of year, the budget gets almost all the media attention. You've yeah. been focusing so much on it. Uh, but what are some of the other issues that uh, you're reporting on on a daily basis that, you know, things that have an impact on Pennsylvanians' lives? 
Yeah, I mean, I think some of the biggest things that we're looking at right now that aren't budget-related are things that happen every year. They're sort of the perennial issues of state government, the perennial issues of Pennsylvania state government. Ones that I could point to and ones that we're doing a lot of work on now are redistricting reform. Um, you know, hot topic, especially with uh, you know, 2020 elections coming up, 2021 redistricting coming up again, which is closer than it seems, is making redistricting fair. And a lot of people say that it's not currently fair, that it's a very political process, that in Pennsylvania it's a very political process that we know is gerrymandering. So that's something that we do cover a lot. And other good government reforms as well. Uh, this is very specific to Pennsylvania, but uh, you know, I think every year it comes up uh, reducing the size of our legislature. We have the largest full-time legislature in the country. We're second only in size to New Hampshire, but ours is full-time. And uh, then we get into you know, things like the gift bans, you know, think, See in the legislation. governor's dollar here for his water? Yeah, that's so sweet. Um, <laughs> I won't touch that. But uh, yes, yeah, so anyway, that's a you know, an exemplary part of this. So, you know, Governor Wolf has made a point of not taking gifts, and a lot of governors have done that. Um, but, uh, you know, the, our legislature can take gifts of any size as long as they report them. So lots of people do think that that's an issue. So Let's get back to redistricting. Yeah, that's a fun one. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's funny you say that, because what I was just about to say is that uh, a few years ago, if you would talk to someone in a crowd like this, and you would talk about redistricting or gerrymandering Standard, yeah. or that we want to make it more fair for how congressional boundaries are drawn. You could see the eyes kind of glaze over and the eyes would kind of go <laughs> over your shoulder and like, okay, can't we talk about something else? But just in the last year or so, regular Pennsylvanians, on-the-street Pennsylvanians, I think part of it is because we do live in such a, a partisan uh, uh, society today that regular people are saying, you know, maybe this is something we should take a look at. Mm -hmm. and something I've always been proud of on Smart Talk is even for the past six years, we've had listeners call in when we're talking about an issue and say, you know, one of the reasons that we do have this political divide is because the way congressional boundaries are drawn up, they're not fair. So with all that said, what are, we, what are we looking at right now? I know there is a, uh, a group that's been very vocal. We've had them on Smart Talk, Fair Districts PA, but there are other groups as well. Yeah, so um, you're correct in saying that gerrymandering has become more of a hot topic. It's less of a, it sounds like a disease sort of does, if you don't yeah. know what it is. But yeah, so it's in the conversation. And what we hear from people uh, in Pennsylvania is that, you know, the Republicans uh, in we're talking about congressional boundaries, but you know, on the state level, we it also comes up. But the congressional boundary drawing in Pennsylvania, which happened in after the 2010 elections and census in 2011, uh, favored Republicans. And there are analyses that have shown this. The AP did a great one where they calculated something called efficiency gaps, which is uh, you know the basically partisan advantage. And Pennsylvania's efficiency gap was 16.2, which uh, this was last year, which is the sixth highest in the country. Um, so, that, so that's significant. And so, again, this is not necessarily a, a partisan thing, meaning that both parties do it. Democrats also gerrymander Maryland as I a was gonna, I was example. just about to say Maryland has actually had to go to court yes. uh, because the Democrats have a majority there. Yeah, and, and we can talk about court cases because that's right. part of this. That's part and parcel. So there's different initiatives going on in Pennsylvania. One of the things that uh, has come up in the last couple of months is a lawsuit. The League of Women Voters and several constituents, Pennsylvania constituents, filed this lawsuit to try to invalidate the 2011 map that, again, was said to favor Republicans. And, uh, you know, that's an extreme measure. Um, you know, the Maryland case is farther along. I think one in Wisconsin, they might get to the Supreme Court and we can see you know, decisive action from them, but the Pennsylvania one, it's sort of, it's a gesture. It's moving this along and attempting to get a resolution before the next election. Now, there's other ways that we could change how redistricting works in Pennsylvania. One of those ways is constitutional amendment. That, I'm sure lots of you know, takes a really long time. You have to pass a bill consecutively in two different sessions, so two years in a row. And, and then it has to go on a ballot. Uh, yes, and it has to go voters, as yeah. a ballot measure that voters can then decide on. And our legislature is not super well known for its decisive actions or quick movement. Really? No. Um, <laughs> God bless them. But uh, yeah, so that's, that's a lot of people don't like that option because A, you got to get it 
out into the General Assembly to even vote on it in the first place, which is tough to do, and then you got to do it again the next year. So um, yes, there are options. That particular option would um, create what's called an independent citizens commission to you know, draw, to help lawmakers draw the lines, because right now it's purely a political process. But uh, yeah, it's a tough thing to get past. Just to clarify, mm. uh, going back to the first option, you talked about the, the League lawsuit, of Women Voters yeah. lawsuit and the next election. Are you talking about 2018 congressional elections or are you talking about 2020? Well, you know, we talk about, I mean, 2018 is obviously the next election, right. so people do want to get these things like done as quickly as they can so that, you know, this is the Democrats' interest mostly, that they don't have like a disadvantage going into these elections. It's really tough to get anything done by 2018. Um, that's very soon, you know, kind of, um, anyway. So, yeah, I think 2020 is kind of the goal for a lot of these things. Okay. And again, that's when the next census will be, and usually it takes a year or so to get uh, those boundaries redrawn. Right. Uh, we focus mostly on congressional, right. but the boundaries are also drawn for state house and state senate. That doesn't get as much attention as far as being gerrymandered, but quite frankly, when you look at uh, an election in Pennsylvania uh, and you look at the number of incumbents who have no opposition, that could be the result, in some cases, of gerrymandering sure. as well. I mean, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's very high in Pennsylvania. The number of uh, incumbent legislators who run unopposed mm -hmm. may face someone in the primary, but most of the time they're running unopposed. Yeah, in, uh, and in there's a lot of factors that go into that. One of them, I mean, you can see when you look at Pennsylvania voter registration, there's more Democrats than Republicans right. registered in Pennsylvania. Democrats are a little bit self-defeating in some ways because they cluster in cities. They're more densely packed, so they're not as represented as Republicans are in a wide range of areas. You know, we got a lot of districts in central Pennsylvania that are heavily Republican. Just That's because that's where people are. But uh, there's a lot of factors that go into how state elections work out. You mentioned uh, some other uh, good government uh, proposals mm. out there. Shrinking the legislature is one that's always popular with the public. Uh, as you said, uh, Pennsylvania has the largest full-time legislature in the country. Um, and actually, I, was, you know, I think that a lot of people were surprised a few years ago when a f former Speaker of the House, Sam Smith, actually proposed this legislation mm. to reduce the size of the legislature. On the surface, many of us look at it, maybe we're being cynical, and say there's no way the legislature is going to vote to shrink itself and put themselves out of jobs. So where are we with that proposal? Well, we are where we are lots of years. Um, there's always legislation that gets introduced to do these things every year. It just has trouble getting to the full House and to the full Senate, specifically the full House, I think. Um, and the reason for that is that, you know, the, these bills have to go through committee first, as most people know. And, it, you know, in order to get through committee, the committee chairs have to introduce them. They have to choose to put them there. And that's where these things get jammed up a lot of the time. So um, this, it's usually the House state government committees in the House and the Senate. And it really is up to party leadership, in this case Republicans who, you know, control these committees, to introduce these things. And we just don't see them getting introduced. And if you talk to members, like House members, you know, often they'll say, yeah, I'd vote for that if it, if it happened, if it came through. But it, the question is, how do you get it there? Actually, and the governor's not here to ask uh, if he's changed his mind on this, but actually Governor Wolf has opposed this. Mm. Uh, his first year in office, I remember when it first came up, he said he opposed it. And the, the argument against shrinking the legislature is that you know, be, uh, uh, you know, a legislator, a House member, a senator would be representing many more people and that uh, may not be as responsive to a bigger district. And I think that was the governor, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but mm. I believe that was the governor's uh, take on this is that he did not support uh, shrinking the size of the legislature. But I don't know, I, again, the cynical side of me says I wonder whether that actually ever will happen. Sure, and you know, that's a valid argument. I think um, lawmakers, when they have a smaller constituency, can connect more with those people, so that's fair. But also having a massive House of Representatives, as we do, it makes the body more unwieldy. It makes it much harder to find consensus. And they when cost you have, a lot of money. And they cost, they're expensive folks. Yeah, and so, you know, there, it, there's always going to be two sides to the argument. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, along with having the largest uh, uh, 
full-time legislature in the country, I think we also have the most expensive legislature in the country when we take into account staff and, and, and all that as well. But, you know, something that, an argument that is made when a legislator says, well, if my district is bigger, it's going to be hard to respond, is that technology is much different today. It's not like they have to ride a wagon uh, or uh, in a carriage to get out to see their constituents stand <laughs> on a soapbox, that kind of thing. I guess not. No, they have cars now, so oh, that's cheaper. Good, good. Katie, we only have a couple of minutes left. What else? What else is big coming up on, uh, on, on the calendar? Oh, gosh. Something to look forward to. Well, uh, I don't know if you've heard about it, but the, the budget's not passed yet. Really? So um, that's really, that's my big thing on the calendar. But we're looking more into redistricting as well as the summer goes on, and hopefully we get a break there. Uh, we can always talk about, we mentioned briefly, gift bans. That's something that comes up uh, year after year. We, um, you know, when I drove in this morning, left early, of course, I ran into traffic, but uh, left early because finding a parking spot around the Capitol is usually a challenge. This morning, I parked on 3rd Street in Harrisburg, right up next to the Capitol. There were no other cars there. Yeah. I thought there was something wrong. Then I remembered, the legislature is not in session. <laughs> when will the legislature be in session? Because the House has to come back to take a look at this, uh, at this budget. Yeah, well, that's the million-dollar question. Um, we got a minute left. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we don't know when the House is coming back. The ball is in their court as far as the budget goes. The Senate passed a proposal that increases taxes in several areas and institutes a new severance tax, as Governor Wolf talked about. Uh, now the House has to decide what it wants to do about that, and they've gone on a break. And, you know, it's indefinite. They could schedule new sessions tomorrow, or they could wait until the end of the month, which seems slightly more likely. Staff are still around. I just saw the uh, House spokesman going that way, so I'm going to... Steve Miskin? He's not there anymore, oh, but I'm okay. going to chase him down after. Um, but, yeah, so we don't know. We don't know where they are. Well, Katie Myers, WITF's uh, Capitol Bureau Chief, and as you heard, she's about to get to work here in just a minute. <laughs> but, Katie, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. You're not used to getting applause, are you? No, it's nice. <laughs> well, we applaud you at the station. Thank you. Well, I want to thank everyone who is here today and our listeners at home. Uh, very special Smart Talk road trip uh, that was uh, supported by Roof Advisory Group, uh, group uh, Michaels Motor Cars, and Harrisburg University of Science and Technology. Tomorrow, we are going to focus on Alzheimer's disease. That is tomorrow, Smart Talk. I will talk to you then. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health. Its 11 principal investigators and 9 nurse coordinators conduct research efforts to advance cardiovascular medicine. Information at pinnaclehealth.org slash myheart.